the power of prayer is extremely strong. I believe in it 100%. I know what it's capable of. I know what God's capable of. And if we bring those things to Him in prayer, He will not leave us and He will not forsake us. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Finding our way in life can be challenging, overwhelming, and discouraging. The path may seem clear at times, and then others, we feel pushed in a direction that may not feel comfortable or familiar. The only thing that we can trust is that God will show us the way, and we must step out in faith to find our purpose. Travis Tripp, a wildly popular 90s country star, thought he had his life mapped out in his hometown of Marietta, Georgia, managing the family air conditioning business. Tom Phillips, a pastor who worked with the Billy Graham Association as a crusade director, studied medicine in college. Both men were led to follow dreams that seemed out of reach, but God had their futures in mind the whole time. We'll start with Travis's story. I'm Travis Tritt. I am a country music singer, songwriter, entertainer, musician. I was born and raised in Marietta, Georgia, where I still live. I am a happily married for 24 years, been with my wife 27, um, father of three, and uh, just extremely, extremely happy to be doing what I do for a living. Growing up in Marietta, Georgia, it was a great place to grow up. Back in those days, it was small town USA. And for example, we lived on a, a road where our house was that was about three miles long, and there were four houses on the whole road. So if you sat on your front porch and you had, you knew you had company coming over, if you heard a car coming, that's definitely going to be your company, right? And it was just a great place to be, a great place to grow up, great place to uh, interact with people. And no place else that I've ever been on this planet has ever felt like home the way that Georgia did. And that's one of the reasons I never moved. Well, as a kid, I, I loved, just loved music as a whole. I got started with gospel, obviously, you know, singing in church. But as I got older, I started listening to a lot more country music. My father, on Saturday nights, we had a radio at our house. We had a television, like just everybody else. But we also had a radio, and on Saturday nights, we hardly ever turned the television on. And the reason why was because my dad would come home from work on Saturday. He worked on Saturdays back then, too. And he would come home, and if the weather permitted, he would set up these lounge chairs out in our front yard and set up a radio, and we would go outside and listen to the Grand Old Opry on Saturday nights. And some of my earliest memories of falling in love with country music and country music artists came from listening to that program. My mother and I and my sister, we were in church every single time the doors were open. We went to the Marietta Assembly of God Church. We were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If revival was there, we were there you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But I grew up with the understanding of of what God meant to my family's life, to my life. We had Bible study on a regular basis. And it was just, it was a great place to 
sort of builds your foundation for the rest of your life. Even though there were times when I strayed way away from it, it was always something that was in the back of my mind, in the back of my heart, even during those times. And every time that I ever had any kind of issues or worries or concerns or whatever it might be, I found that I could unload those things in prayer. And that really, really has been something that's been special to me throughout my entire life. I don't worry about things very much because I know that anytime something comes up that is concerning to me or whatever, that I don't have to carry that burden alone. And that is so freeing as an as a individual to be able to just take it to God in prayer and not just take the burdens there and then pick them back up and walk away with them. I can take them there and leave them there. And that's extremely freeing. I just don't worry about things anymore. And it's all because of the teachings that I started in that, that, that little church in, in Marietta, Georgia. The first time that I ever sang for anybody in public, we had a children's choir, a children's church, back in, in when I was very, very young, six, five, six years old. And we rehearsed the song, which was a new song at that time, Everything is Beautiful, the old Ray Stevens song. And they chose me to sing the, the solo parts. And man, I was nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. And we rehearsed it for weeks. And then finally, we had an opportunity to go up to what we referred to as big church, adult church, and perform that song for uh, the adult congregation. And I think that's probably where I got bitten by the bug. I just realized that that was something that I wanted to continue doing, even though I didn't pursue it as a career for many, many years later. But I knew right then that it was something that I, I wanted to do. When you were growing up in those days, you had basically one of two choices. You either, when you graduated from high school, you either went to college, which that wasn't an option for me, or you got married and went to work. I chose option B. And I got married right out of high school, went to work for that heating and air conditioning wholesale company. And I pretty much thought that I was going to make a career out of that. You know, that's pretty much what I wanted to do. I occasionally, I had a, a band that would occasionally play like a Christmas party or, you know, a wedding or an anniversary party or something like that. But we weren't working very much. And I walked into this club one night, very close to my house. It was a little bar restaurant. And there was one guy up on a stage, up on a little platform, with a, just an acoustic guitar and a drum machine. And I sat and listened to this guy for about, I don't know, an hour or two. And I thought, I can do that, John. I can do that. And sure enough, I got to know him very well. And a few months later, he decided he was going to uh, come to Nashville to try to pursue his own musical dreams and as soon as he left I went to the manager of that club and I said I want that job and I got it so I did both jobs for a while and it nearly killed me but I was young and I could handle it you know 
And after a while, I realized that I was having more fun at my night job than I was at my day job. And I also realized, oddly enough, that I was making more money at my night job than I was at my day job. So I wrestled around with the idea of just pursuing it full-time for several months. And finally, I went to my, my boss, who was the vice president of the company. And I said, uh, listen, I, I'm really struggling with the idea. I said, I've got an opportunity to pursue this career in music, but I'm afraid because I've only got bookings at this one place. And after those bookings run out, I don't know where the next booking's coming from. And I obviously don't know where the next paycheck's coming from. And he was an old guitar player that had was really good. As a matter of fact, at one point, he had been offered an opportunity to go out on the road with Carlos Santana. And he turned it down because it was a family business. And um, he told me how much he regretted that decision. And that he said, look, I encourage you to do it. He said, go do it. Go chase your dream. He said, because I'm going to be an old man one day and I'll be sitting in my rocking chair on the front porch wondering whether or not I could have made it in this business. He said, you go pursue that dream. And he said, if it doesn't work out, your job here is safe. So that was all I needed. That was the kick out of the nest that I needed. And um, I started going out and playing shows and I never looked back. Well, you know, I've been blessed in so many ways. I mean, I've had the opportunity to work with just about every single one of my heroes that I ever had. Not just get to meet them and, and, and talk with them, but get to actually work with them, play concerts with them, record with them. Had the opportunity to work with Ray Charles, who was probably the most influential person on what comes out of my mouth when I sing than anybody on the planet. I had the opportunity to work with the Eagles back at a time when they had been on a 14-year hiatus, and I did a Common Thread album, an uh, album called Common Thread, which was a tribute to the Eagles, and all the country music artists of the day participated in that. I worked with so many great people over the years, and, and it's just been more than I ever, ever imagined when I first got started that you would ever, I mean, you certainly dream about it, but I'm one of those people that can look back and say, honestly, that my dreams have more than come true. I released my first single in 1989, in August of 1989, and that December, we were playing at the National Finals Rodeo or around all of the casinos around the National Finals Rodeo featured country music artists for that entire week. And Charlie Daniels was playing at the Sands Hotel where the Rat Pack, all those guys had performed for years. It's no longer there now, but he was doing a week of shows and he booked me to open those shows. And I was so brand new that, I mean, they didn't put our name on the marquee. They stuck us literally in a broom closet for a dressing room. The first night before the show, he came down and he just poked his head in the door and said, hey y'all, I'm Charlie. I just wanted to welcome y'all and say it's so glad to have you here. And he looked in the room and he said, what is this room they've got you in? I said, well, it's our dressing room, sir. And he walked down the hall and he said, 
y'all wait one minute, I'll be right back. And he walked down the hall, and five minutes later he came back and got us, and he pulled us into his dressing room, which was huge. And he said, this is my dressing room, and from now on it's your dressing room too. But the advice that he gave me, after that whole week of shows, I watched every night when I was on stage, and I could look to the left, and on the side of the stage, all I could see was a silhouette of that big hat that he wore. And he came out and watched me every single night and from beginning to end. And at the end of the week, he pulled me to the side and he said, listen, I've been watching you every night. And he said, I'm just impressed. He said, I love watching what you do with an audience. He said, I love watching you perform. I love the songs you're doing. I love the songs you're writing, style that you play. And he said, I think you're going to have a career in this business for as long as you want one. He said, but, he said, I know that if you're brand new in this business, that it can be difficult to navigate. He said, sometimes you feel like you're in a stormy sea with no compass. And he said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and I've never claimed to be. But if there's any way that I could be of any help to you, or any of give you any advice or any assistance, or if you just have some questions, or if you just have somebody that you just want to talk to, about anything that's going on. He said, here's all my numbers. I would say that 99% of everything that I know about the business side of the music business, I learned from Charlie Daniels. He was one of my, truly one of my heroes, and I I miss him so much every single day. But I love him, and uh, I know that he's in a better place, and... I just thank him so much for all of the all of the things that he taught me and and more than that for just being such a good friend, more than a friend, a father figure to me. 12, 13 years ago, I really wanted to just focus on just the live performance. And I, even though I, I haven't recorded an album in, in that period of time, I played shows. I played on average about 135 shows a year every single year. So I've never gone away. I've just always put my focus on, for the last 13 years, on the touring and the live performance part of it. And going back in and doing an album uh, was a little bit nerve-wracking for me because I know that a lot of things have changed in, in the industry in that period of time as far as how people record music, how they approach it. Plus, I was working with a lot of first-time songwriters I'd never written with before. But one of the first songwriters that I wrote with was a guy named Brent Cobb. And Brent came to me with this concept. He said, you know, he said, I was thinking about before I even came over here to write with you. He came to my house. And he said, even before all this came down, I, I was thinking about how much your music meant to me when I was growing up and, and riding around and listening to it with my, my daddy and my granddaddy. He said, and then I went to see you in concert when I got a little bit older. He said, your, your career and your legacy is pretty much set in stone. He said, and I was thinking about that set in stone, set in stone. And he said, I, I would love to write a song about that, but he said, I'd like to make it 
more universal so that it applies to just about anybody that can look back over their life and find something that they're proud of. And that can be something as simple as just raising a family or providing for a family, keeping a roof over their head, keeping food on the table for your family. Or it could be something like keeping your family farm up and running or maybe starting a business and growing that business over the years. Anything that you can look back on as you get older and say, you know what, I'm proud of that. That's your legacy. And so we started thinking about how we could write that song and it just turned out I'm so so happy with the song I think the thing I want to be remembered for is this is a guy that just absolutely loved what he did for a living. First of all, he loved people. He loved music. He loved entertaining. He loved being on stage more than anything on the planet. And he always gave 100% all the time because he loved it that much. I am a big believer in counting your blessings. So my prayers start off each night with thanking God for all the blessings. And like the old song says, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one. I do that every single night when I pray. I thank God, first of all, for my health. I thank him for my family. I thank him for my family's health. I thank him for the protection that he has provided for me over the years, keeping us out of harm's way. I thank him for salvation. I thank him for the talent that he blessed me with. I don't know why on earth he chose me, but I'm so thankful for it. And not only the talent that he blessed me with, but also the ability to be able to use that talent to go out and entertain people, to make people smile and forget their troubles for a little while, or lift people up or take them on a a journey in their mind or their spirit, and be able to not only do that, but to be able to use that to make an extremely good living for me and my family members. All of those are blessings, and they came from one place, and that's God. I know those things happened from heaven without a shadow of a doubt. So I thank God for those things every single night. I just recently became familiar with Jesus Calling, but once I found out about it, I started listening to the podcast as part of a like a morning ritual, morning routine. And there's always something there. There's always something, you know, inspirational for me that I can read and take as part of my faith. And it it applies to, it almost seems like that 
each day the things that you hear on the Jesus Calling podcasts in some way or another are things that apply to whatever it is I'm dealing with that particular day or that particular time. So it's very inspirational to me. I've seen the power of prayer in a bunch of places in my life. I mean, obviously, I've seen, first of all, if it wasn't for the power of prayer, I probably wouldn't be here. Because in my younger days, when I was in my early 20s, I was a hell raiser. And I was off doing a bunch of things that I shouldn't have done, partying way too much, drinking way too much, drinking and driving, doing stupid things, stupid things. And there were several incidents that I was involved in where I could have killed myself, could have killed other people, could have been involved in terrible, terrible accidents, other situations that were extremely dangerous. Just situations that I don't think I would have been able to endure or live through had it not been for my mother, who I knew every single time that I was out, wherever it was, I knew that my mother was at home praying for me. And I knew my grandfather and my grandmother, her mom and dad, were praying for me. And they were devout. I mean, they were devout. I used to say all the time, these people are tight with God. Tight. And I knew for whatever reason that they would call me and tell me from time to time that, you know, I don't know what's going on with you right now or, or what what's happening with you, but for some reason or another, last night, I just felt this real strong compulsion to pray for you. And as it happened, in just about every one of those cases, I was in a very, very dangerous situation right at that very moment. That's God. I remember hearing my pastor years ago as a very young young person. He said, when Jesus says, lay your burdens down, he doesn't mean for you to bring the burdens to him and then lay them down and then pick them back up again when you walk away. It's lay them down permanently and leave them with him. That's what faith is. And that does give you a tremendous amount of peace to be able to take those burdens to God in prayer and be able to leave them there and not worry. And it gives you so much freedom. At least it has for me. And I know it has for a bunch of other people as well. You can find Travis Tritt's new record, Set in Stone, anywhere music is sold. Stay tuned to Dr. Tom Phillips' story after a brief message. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, 
and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Many of us want to develop a deeper prayer life. In this new 365-day devotional, Jesus Listens, Sarah Young offers daily prayers based on Scripture that will help you experience how intentional prayer can connect you to God and change your heart. Learn more about Jesus Listens and download a free sample at jesuscalling.com slash jesuslistens. Our next guest is evangelist Dr. Tom Phillips, who's the vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Dr. Phillips was raised by a large family on a farm and learned many lessons about God and his ability through watching crops grow and wither. After trying to follow his dreams of pursuing a career in medicine, Dr. Phillips knew that he wasn't fully surrendering to God's plan and ended up going to seminary. Inspired by the actions of Dr. Billy Graham, Dr. Phillips eventually became the vice president of the association and has fulfilled his lifelong dream of telling as many people as possible about the love of Christ. My name is Tom Phillips. I'm the vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I've been working with Mr. Graham in Franklin since uh, 1974. I've been privileged to serve in many, many areas, and my heart, as was Mr. Graham, is revival because when the church itself is awakened, then we will have the greatest evangelism. And if it's the greatest revival the church has ever known, it'll be the greatest return on investment in souls saved as the church comes alive. I grew up in Mississippi, which has been known as a very poor state, which it is, and my family loved the Lord. Uh, One grandmother and grandfather had 10 children. Another grandmother and grandfather had 14. Growing up on a farm with the ethic of work that occurs whenever the harvest is being prepared, the seeds are being planted, we called it laid by when everything was done and we were waiting on the Lord to send the early rain, was a great lesson. I remember going down in the afternoon sun with my uncle, and he would let the soil run through his fingers and look up. And he was basically saying to God, now it's yours. And then, of course, whenever the crops came in, it was a substantive farm in terms of size, and so there was a lot to do, and there was a lot of potential debt if we didn't have a good year. And yet there was a lot of potential joy if the harvest was wonderful. And of course, you watch the soybeans or the corn or the cotton come up. And then you're praying. And I didn't, as a little boy, realize the biblical significance of all of this. But you're praying for the latter rain. Once the cotton bowls are in or the corn cobs are on, the soybean pods are there. It's the latter rain in the fall that causes the fruit to grow to the extent that it can grow for the greatest harvest. And I believe now we are in the early phases of the latter rain in America that will cause the greatest fruit that's ever been born by the church of this nation. And it's all about Him. It's not about the church. It's not about Christianity. All of that falls into place. Jesus said, when you put me first, everything else falls into place. And I learned this from great Southern preachers, whether Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist, but I also learned it from my grandfather, 
who was a circuit-riding Baptist farmer preacher, and I can still remember him on Sunday afternoons, even aged. He was a big Welch man. He would sit with his Bible reading Reverend Joseph Whitfield Phillips, and the people would still come to him and pray with him, and he was a giant. He grew up in the mountains of Tennessee, and with that large family of 10, once a month he would get on his horse and ride the circuit. Part of it was across the Tennessee River, and he would leave his mount with one farmer. He would row him across in a flat-bottom homemade boat. Another farmer would loan him a horse, and he would go preach the rest of the circuit and come back. And that was the cutting edge of frontier ministry in the early days of our nation. So my heritage was very simple. It was very basic. It was very biblical. It was very loving. It was very disciplined. And I never, never knew insecurity in my family because they relied on the Lord. One of the great experiences of my life was when I was 17, my last year before I left high school, my eldest uncle, who was a substantial leader in the farming community, got me a job with the federal government measuring cotton, which is quite interesting. You had aerial photographs. You were trained by the federal government. You would go out to farmers with chains very, very thin chains, and you helped that farmer mark off the part of his farm that he would not plant. He loved you coming because he made more money on the land he didn't plant than the land he planted. And as you walk around the farm doing this work and letting him know where his most productive land was that he would never touch, he would say, Phillips, Phillips, are you related to Whitfield Phillips, Reverend Phillips? And I would say, well, yes, I am. He's my grandfather. And he would say, let me tell you a story. And this happened over and over. And my grandfather evidently never kept the money that came to him from the church. I had so many people say, well, I watched him when the church would pay him. And I'm sure it wasn't that much, but he had a good farm. And he would find someone in the community that was in the hospital or had lost their job or was for some reason a widow or a widower, but they were in need. And he would take his money from the church and drop it off. And so many people would tell me that. And it was very moving to me as a young lad. And it made me want to be like that man. I had seen him in the Word Sunday after Sunday. I had seen his reverence for God. And I had seen the way he gave himself to others. So that kind of heritage was selfless. It was giving, it was loving, it was caring, and it was totally, totally honest. It was transparent, it was vulnerable. So I was I was quite honored. Well, in those days, um, a lot of people in Mississippi just went from high school to work. And as I looked at my life, I was an academically introverted person. But because of that, I buried myself in books and I became erudite in some ways. And I thought, well, I love to tell people about Jesus. So I should go to pre-med and then I should go to medical school, maybe become a surgeon and use that platform to tell people about the Lord. I was one of the few kids in my church that would show up on cold turkey visitation night to go out and tell people about the Lord. Now, I always went with an older person. But, you know, 14 years old or 15, I'm there. And I thought, I love this. I love telling people that God loves them. It was like telling them that my family loved them. It's my spiritual family now. So I went to Ole Miss and went into pre-med. It was a crazy time because 
God begins to work on a person's life as he calls them to their destiny if they will listen. And I knew I had a spiritual inkling in my heart that I couldn't quite comprehend. And I did pray consistently. And that's when it was like a light bulb for destiny came on in my heart and my life. And I surrendered to whatever God wanted me to do. And I made a deal with him, though. I didn't want to give up medicine, so I surrendered to medical missions. And he said, "Uh, that's not what I ask you to do. I didn't ask you to surrender half yourself. I ask you to surrender your whole self. Well, I really first heard about Billy Graham when my family would watch him on television. And I really probably didn't understand entirely the depth of what I was seeing. But I had a tremendous amount of admiration. And in our daily tiny little newspaper in my hometown in Mississippi, we had the column, My Answer, that Billy Graham wrote in answer to people's questions. And in the spring of my sophomore year, he had a column and he said, I pray about where to park every time I go to town. And when I do that, God gives me a person to minister to when I park where God wants me to. And then I thought, well, that's interesting. I can do that. And as I drove down to the little southern town with the courthouse in the center and the beautiful old stores, very colonial, I'd pray and I'd start to pull in and God would just, I guess, just I had this distinct feeling, don't do this. And I I wouldn't. Then I'd actually be pulling in a spot, and God would go, it just didn't feel right, so I'd back out. And then pull in where I felt at peace. And God was teaching me the tuning fork of spiritual resonance. And every single time that whole summer, when I followed the tuning in my heart and parked without exception, literally, I got out of my car, and there was somebody right there with a need that I could minister to them. And I'd never had that happen. And I knew that God was changing my life for the sake of others, for souls, for eternity, for destiny. And then I went back to Ole Miss and dropped all the courses except my biology major that had to do with medicine and all the sciences, etc., and picked up all the things that pastors should learn, like German and Latin. And I was in my psychology class, and a pastor came up to me. And he said, I hear you've surrendered to the ministry. And I said, yes. He said, would you like a church? And mind you, I'm 19 years old, and I'm a scientist by training. I'm not a pastor, but I love the Word of God, and I'd studied it, and I memorized, and so I kind of semi-knew it. The whole church voted uh, unanimously for this 19-year-old to become their pastor, and we had 250 people in the church, and I commuted. 150 miles a day, and I loved every moment of it and learned a tremendous amount. And God then started guiding me in an open way to understand others and love others. And I was received, and and I received them. The church is here to change the culture. The Word of God is here to change the culture and make us more like the Creator. And that's what a revival, a true revival is all about, a renewal, a reset, a restoration, is bringing us back into alignment with Jesus. Cliff Barrows, the great song leader with Billy Graham, ran into Jesus Calling, and he started just giving everybody in our team a Jesus Calling. 
And uh, I found that it was one of the most illuminating books I had ever read. I like to underline and put notes in the margin. And then when I come back a year later and I'm reading it again, I, I, I put down the prayer needs of that time and I see the answers that have come. But often the guidance for me and the need that I have comes out of Jesus Calling. But with Mr. Graham, I uh, spent a, a lot of time with him planning for the future or in his room praying together about that night or just caring for him in certain situations. And his humility overwhelmed me. His constant love of Jesus, dying to self, obedience, dependability. He was truly a man of God. And I think that's kind of overwhelming. And young pastors say to me, a young evangelist as well, how do I become Billy Graham? And I said, well, what's your name? And they'll tell me, and I said, well, can you die to that name and live only for Jesus? Because you can be successful, partially surrendered, but you'll never be Billy Graham partially surrendered. And that's why Billy could say, I'm praying for an old-fashioned Holy Ghost, heaven-sent revival that would sweep America from coast to coast. He prayed that from 1949 all the way until he died because he knew that if the Church of Jesus Christ would truly be awakened by God in a fresh and new and obedient and biblical way, we would see the greatest evangelism or good news proclamation and response by the unsaved the world's ever seen. To learn more about the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, please visit billygram.org. And be sure to check out Dr. Tom Phillips' latest books at your favorite retailer. If you'd like to hear more stories about following where God leads, check out our interview with David Crowder. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we talk to country music artist Brett Young, who shares about his early dream to play baseball and how God guided him toward his country music career after an injury ended his baseball career. It wasn't until I had an elbow injury in college that ended my baseball career uh, that I had to really take a step back and, and, and look at what it was I wanted to do. And, and uh, it was really my faith that was what got me through that because I think when you have the thing that you knew you were going to do for your entire life taken away from you, you have to refocus and it's really hard to do that if you don't have faith that God has a plan for you and that if something was taken from you, it's because he has something better for you. And music ended up being something that I've, I love more than I loved baseball and it's, it feels exactly like what I was supposed to do in life. Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Jesus Calling Book, on Facebook, and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.